A meal that's easy to make and tough to put down? Unexpected. At Blue Apron, we love the unexpected. And no matter your lifestyle, Blue Apron has something to suit everyone, from the vegetarian to the flexitarian to the meat lover. A meal that doesn't sacrifice quality for convenience? Now that's unexpected. Blue Apron. Expect the unexpected. Visit blueapron.com slash unique and get $110 off across your first five deliveries plus free shipping off your first box. Hey, what's up? with Emily, and I'm pretty sure that compassionate coordinated healthcare is something on the top of everyone's mind. That is why I love Live by Advantia Health. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. Live is a membership-based practice in the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. Plus, Live accepts all major insurance. So take charge of your healthcare on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. L-I-V by Advantia. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus. Doug and I, uh, my, my co, co-host, co-driver, and I are about to embark out onto the beautiful streets of the summer streets of Chicago. How you doing, my friend? I prefer to view myself as the navigator, steering you away from just uh, complete <laughs> ignorance. <laughs> well, I'm going to ignore that comment. I'm just going to drive wherever <laughs> the heck I want, road or not. And uh, it's going to be a fun ride here today because there's a lot of Bulls news that we haven't yet uh, broached on. And let's start with the the news of the week, the news of the day still. The acquisition, surprise acquisition a week ago of Jabari Parker to the beloved Bull. What say you? Are you excited about the deal? What's your ups and what's your downs? I think as time has gone on, I've become more excited about the deal for a couple of reasons. First, it sounded like it was going to be a two-year deal, and that could blow up the Bulls' cap space plan for next year. It does not look like that's the case. It's effectively a one-year deal where the Bulls have a little control to, to have him longer. And if you really want a great cap breakdown of that, uh, I'll give it to you afterwards. We'll see if you need that excruciating detail. Okay. And the other thing is that the Camilo Anthony trade really showed that the Thunder weren't going to give up anything to dump Carmelo onto us. And so I think the... My hopes of getting something good out of that trade now look pretty minimal. So if I had everything to do over again and could look at it, I would have you know, loved to get a, a pick from Denver like the Brooklyn Nets ended up doing for their salary cap rather than taking a shot on Jabari Parker. But I think Jabari Parker is a decent acquisition in terms of what you are going to do that has a high ceiling, high upside uh, versus other options you had available. Yeah, and I'll play devil's advocate. Let's look at that Denver Nets deal. Protected to number 12, and if it if it's, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, that's never going to be better than a 12th pick, right? I think that eventually will devolve into a second-round pick. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where that's going to go. I, I, for one, think that Denver will give them that pick. But, yeah, it won't be. I, I don't know if it's uh, the protectionist. Sure. Yeah, Denver, I mean, I think we both, uh, well, I mean, I think we both would probably say Denver's going to end up somewhere around 14, 15, 16. I think that's highly likely, somewhere in that range. So they'll probably pass that on to the Nets. I would counter that next year, which everyone seems to universally say is going to be a weak draft. There's a couple of good players at the top of the draft, but nowhere near as talented as this year's past draft. I would argue 
that the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th pick, despite all the benefits of having that guy under cost control for five years, is about a one in a million chance he's going to be better than, than Jabari Parker. Jabari Parker has scored over the course of a year, averaged 20 points per game. Last year there were 23 players in the NBA to average 20 or more points. It's, it's something that's not easy to do. And I think it's highly unlikely, even with the two, the two ACL tears, I think it's, it's a better gamble to save your cap space for next year and, and to, to keep your you know, powder keg dry. There's, no, there's basically no risk, in my opinion, here. To take on this, um, to take on this contract and see what you get out of them, I think that it's entirely tradable too. I mean, let's say, what's the worst that can happen? He's just absolutely awful. Well, you tried, and then you know you will part ways at the end of the year. The best that can happen is twofold. Number one, he can have another average twenty per game again, become a score in the NBA, which is highly valued by teams, not by Chicago Bulls fans, but scoring is highly valued by teams. You could turn that into an asset at the trade deadline, or you keep him, and you got a young player who's 23 years old who can score. I, I, I can't believe how this city devalues scoring. I saw it with Ben Gordon. I saw it with Gasol. Every talented player with defensive deficiencies is devalued by the vast majority of Bulls fans. I don't know if it's the 90s Bulls to blame. I don't know if it's the 85 Bears with the defense wins championships mantra. The 90s Bulls had the greatest score of all time, but we, we seem to conveniently forget that. If the I, I firmly believe if the Bulls somehow managed to acquire Kyrie Irving or Harden or or Curry, these uber talented players with massive def- defensive deficiencies, I'm certain I'd have to endure an endless stream of. But he doesn't play defense on you know sports radio or in our podcast emails. So um, you're, I think you're almost better off coming to the Bulls as a defensive stud like Nawaba than you are like a guy like Parker who's actually got you know immense amounts of offensive skills. So I don't know what say you on what I just. I'd like to get your comment. I don't think that's quite it. I mean, I think if you're overreacting, it's not just that these guys score. I mean, it, clearly people will complain about people who don't play any defense. And so I would raise you like a Carlos Boozer as like a counterexample. Like, it's okay to be Marcus Alt and be a good scorer, and maybe at some points in his career a great scorer, and, and be an average defender. Pogosol. But then there's guys who like completely destroy your defense, like who are just so terrible that the impact of their defense actually makes them historically not provide uh, a positive uh, net margin when they're on the court. And Levine and Parker right now are both in that camp. And I don't put so much value in that number. I think defense is something that you get a lot of experience as you play in the NBA and you improve, and I expect both to be better than they've been in the past. They're still very young players. But that, that is the argument. It's not just that, like, wow, they don't defend. It's how bad they don't defend. It's not like, wow, they're not great. So, and the other thing is, you know, they're both kind of black hole players that maybe don't give you a lot else outside of scoring. I know, you know, maybe the, the assist numbers Livian has had aren't so terrible, but when you actually watch him, you know, you see him just, like, hog the ball. and It's, yeah. it's so hard because I didn't watch him that much in Minnesota. Yeah, I and what we saw last year for the Bulls was just – Really terrible. So I know statistically looking at his numbers, he wasn't that bad. And I got a stat that will be interesting for you. I was just arguing on Real GM, as I want to do with someone. And someone made the comment, the league is littered with guys like Zach Levine, who are just good shooters and athletic players who don't pan out into anything. And so I did some looking. So I said, yeah, maybe that's true. I don't know. And I checked. And so I looked at guys who had scored at least 16 points Per game, Zach Levine is 18.9 in Minnesota. On at least 55% true shooting percentage, 
Uh, Zach Levine was 57.6. So I wasn't like just picking the absolute bare, you know, number that just hit his, like guys who are just better than him. But I, I left some room for guys worse than him. If you just look at guards, there's about 20 guards on the list. And every single one of them, except for Eric Gordon, has either been in the league less than five years or has been an all-star in his career. And Eric Gordon, who's not an all-star, is still you know, a pretty good player when he wasn't hurt. Okay. Uh, I then expanded this check to look at per-minute numbers instead of just per game, you know, to see if, like, well, maybe there's a bunch of guys who would have scored as much as Zach if they just played, like, ten more minutes a game. And when I did that, and still left room on these margins, it added a few more players to the list uh, who weren't quite as impressive, but the least impressive and the only non-impressive player on the list was DJ Augustine. Still, everyone else on the list went on to have, like, a very good plus starter career, like a guy you'd want on your team. And so when people say, like, well, there's a lot of guys who can do what Zach's done, there aren't. Yeah. <laughs> there really aren't a lot of guys who've shown they can score in volume with high efficiency. There's actually very few in the history of the league. And that's changed a little bit because of how we do three-point shooting now. It wasn't always uh, such an efficient league, but how people value the corner three and shoot more threes. So overall efficiency has risen in the league and offense. So there's, there's quite a few decent guys who are, who are younger. And Jabari Parker is one of the guys on the list who's less than five years, who also did that. Mm-hmm. And, and sorry, I want to say, I look at guys 21 age or younger, you know, uh, at the age Zach did it, to show, like, if you did this at this young age, how good you would be. Do, do you have some uh, of those okay. names that you could share with us? Give us some examples of these guys that, you, that uh, are it's comparable. It's like Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, oh, Ron my God. James. Yeah, so you're going um, back. Adrian Bentley, uh, trying to think off the top of my head. It's just like a list of, like, half the guys on the list are superstars. And the other half are all stars. Uh, like some of the worst names on the list, I think, were like Luol Dang. Um, I can't remember anymore off the top of my head, but like it was. Guys it was, have been. Luol Dang made all stars. I mean, like, yeah, everyone I mean, on that insane. list was a really good player. Like I said, the only guy, and this is when I did it per minute instead of by per game, the only player who was not at least an above average starting caliber player was DJ Augustine. Every other player on that list was a guy who you thought like was. Either almost all of them had all star years in their career, and a couple other guys maybe were like, "Well, yeah, that guy was close." Like Eric Gordon was the other like worst guy in the list. Like Eric Gordon, you're like, "Yeah, there's a couple times you thought he might have been an all star, like he was close to it in his, his good years." So, I mean, it was it, it, it is not so common what Zach Levine has has done in Minnesota in that third year, and so he has a lot of potential. So when people just keep throwing out this. He's never helped his team win, and he can't do this. Like, Jesus, I just want to say, like, I get it. I agree with some of the downsides here, but you got to look at some of the upside, too. He's actually in a pretty elite list of guys who can score on efficiency if he can get back to doing what he did in Minnesota. No, I, I agree 100%, Doug. I think you hit it on the head. And, and on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, Zach Levine is still – he's an extremely young player. It's not like he's had a lot of years in his league. And, and – I, I heard this on Zach Lowe's podcast where Zach Lowe mentioned talking about Parker where he, he, he was watching him in the playoffs and he said, oh, wow, he's actually playing really good D. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think, I, think, I think there's a little bit of a difference when how guys play D you know, in December as opposed to May when it actually matters. Levine's never played in a game that's really mattered. He's, he was drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves who have sucked you know, uh, for, for, for decades and, and, you know, they had one good year last year when they brought in Butler, but they, even then they were just an eighth seed. 
I think if he if he gets surrounded by players that actually start winning, I think you're going to see him uh, be a different defensive player. I'm not ever going to say he's ever going to be great. No, and I don't think Parker will either. But when you become part of a team that has some really good defensive pieces, like the Bulls do in Dunn and Wendell Carter Jr. and Lopez, and the team starts winning and starts making a commitment to defense. I think they could be average. I don't think they're terrible, you know. And um, it just—I I, kind of just—I I turn it off when I hear, "Oh, how horrible Levine is!" How he's got all the tools. If defenses want to athleticism, and yeah, there's a little bit. There's other parts of it too that you know, anticipation and stuff that he'll never be able to be a lead on. But I think he's got the tools to be average. Maybe I, I think I think athletically sure. The thing that maybe scares you is his wingspan is like super small for his size. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really short arms. So it's probably like four or five inches shorter than a typical guy his height. So, you know, that, that probably limits him a little bit in terms of contesting shots and getting into passing lanes and things like that. But watching him, it's the awareness, right? I mean, that's it, really what bothers us is it's the awareness of watching him. He seems okay man-on-man when he's just watching a guy in front of him, but he doesn't really have his head on a swivel and understand what's going on around him all the time. But I, that's where I feel like that's experience, and that can be improved a lot. And what scares me most about this team defensively, and I think we're going to be a very poor defensive team this year. I don't think we have many good defenders on the team. And I don't think the coach is really preaching defense or drilling that in. No. I, I mean, no. I don't know what you think of Hoiberg as a coach. I think this is really a make-or-break year for him, not that that's some you know, really challenging thing to say that no one else would have come up with. But, I, I mean, I think to me, if they don't win at least 40 games, Hoiberg is out. Like yeah, he's, he's not really shown me anything that excites me about him. I, I know last year they were tanking, so you can't take anything into account there. The two years before that, I think he kind of did more or less what I thought he could do, but I, I don't think this is the guy for us. I, I think they're, they're going to be looking for someone new at the end of next season. I, I don't feel that coaches in the NBA, to me, it's like one of the most overrated positions. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of real difference makers. There's a few of them you can come on one hand that are just excellent coaches, but even, you know, the guys that I think are elite coaches, Rick Carlisle, how good did he do with it? To me, the NBA is talent. If you have talent and you have players, you better figure out a way to get out of the way and make sure that they win. That's your basic job. And, you know, there's very few guys, you know, obviously Pops has done a lot with, I think, limited talent. But, you know, he's not winning titles without Tim Duncan. I don't think Hoiberg's a terrible coach. I think offensively, I think he's got a lot of great ideas. And I like some of the creative things he's done, especially at the end of last year. Some of the stuff I was, I thought he was doing with marketing was pretty interesting. But, you I, know, I agree with you. I don't I think disagree boiling, with you. What's that? I, I would just say, I don't disagree with you. I would just say that I think the biggest thing is how much your players believe in the coach. Yes. How much they try for how him. How they respect him. I don't think Koyberg has this team. I, I, I just don't. I don't feel I kind of feel like a Del Negro. I think that's got to come from your best player. If your best player buys into what you're doing and really believes in you, like Tim Duncan did with, you know, I think that makes a big difference. But, you know, Kerr, Kerr's a great coach, but he kind of on one hand, and everybody else to me is just kind of, eh. And then you got some awful coaches. Like, I, I think Tibbs is an awful coach, what, what he does. I don't care, I, uh, you know, X's and O's defensively, I think the game's passed him by quite a bit. He's a terrible coach. He doesn't know how to, you know, manipulate minutes and manage a bench. He's just awful there. So I think there's coaches like that that are are terrible, which is, I think, kind of hilarious since I think most of the people listening to this think he's some kind of great miracle worker. He's not. He's a bum. Um, And then, you know, but most of the guys are just, eh. You know, we'll see how Bolden Holzer does with 
with Milwaukee. I think it's an interesting situation because that team, I think, was kind of hindered by their coach before. And he's got, you know, a stellar reputation. Obviously, he didn't do too well when the talent left. So, you know, again, coaching to me is a little bit overrated. Boylan's our defensive coach. I think the team has actually done a little bit better than I expected in the last few years after after Butler left. You know, I, I, I thought last year there were moments where they weren't, you know, terrible. And I didn't think they had a lot of defensive talent. But, um, yeah, I don't expect them to be great. But I, I keep on hearing people, these, these guys are going to be one of the worst defensive teams in the history of the NBA. I, I, I don't see that. I don't. I think when you have a guy like Dunn, to me, who's an elite perimeter defender, and you got Lopez, who is, which is interior defense is, is the most important. I don't think Markinen's awful. And I, I think Wendell Carr Jr. is going to be very good and has a chance to be great in the future. I don't think they're going to be terrible. Um, you know, I agree there's problems there with Levine and, and, and obviously Parker, but, you know, I think Chandler's got some, uh, uh, Hutchinson's got some excellent defensive tools and we'll see how it ends up. But yeah, I agree with you. They're not going to be in the top half, but I don't think they're going to be historically awful. <laughs> historically awful is not a hard part. Uh, no, no, so. no, but, that, I but agree. It, it's fresh they probably won't make history as the worst defensive team ever. I, I mean, think they'll be yeah. not even just not in the top half. I think they'll be in the bottom like six teams. Uh, I think I I will I will disagree with that because I I feel the team's going to win forty four to forty seven games and I don't think it's likely that if they're in the bottom six that they will win forty four to forty seven I think they're going to end up somewhere between seventeen and twenty two and I think they're going to be a much better offense than we expected so let's hope that's the case and then they'll win forty four to forty seven put themselves in for that next jump um, let's move on though a little bit so it sounds like you've kind of as more time's gone on you're more and I agree with you, more down with this this Parker move, looking back. For sure. Okay. For sure. I think the, the cap implications uh, are, are very good. It, Mark Deeks wrote a great article about it, so if you just Google his article, it'll explain everything you need to know about the cap. But effectively, the Bulls manage this in such a way that they can uh, keep long-term control of him while keeping him at the 25% max level, rather than if they sign him for one additional year, would have gone up to this 30% max level in case he busts out. Uh, you know, I, I think that's probably not going to happen. But if it did, uh, the Bulls are actually in a pretty good position to keep him what's at your, a, a somewhat reasonable number. What's your prediction now for next year? Is he on the team next year? Who will be on the team Parker. next year? Will Parker be on this Bulls roster next year? I would say no. And do you think it's going to be via trade during the season, or do you think they're just going to part ways? No, I, I just think they'll part ways with him. Interesting. All right. I'm I don't think see. you're going to get anything for him in trade. I'd find that to be really unlikely. On the high end, Doug, i got to say, on the high end, if the guy's averaging 20 points per game and he's scoring, I think there's absolutely going to be teams that would be interested who who are interested in some cap cap relief, but they want to fake their fans into thinking that they're actually going for it. And I think a team like Toronto could be one. Toronto did that, in essence, with the San Antonio move. You know, teams that are really concerned about their cap situation going forward would be happy to take on $20 million in an expiring contract for a player that is, quote-unquote, going to help them in, the, in their playoff run. So I think he, I think he is a, a, a closet, attractive trade piece if he plays anywhere near his capabilities. But we'll, well see. We'll see. If a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump it that much. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there you go. If Parker plays really great, then sure, he's <laughs> an attractive trade piece. Yeah, there we go. Let's see that happen first. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know why there's like, you know, I, I agree there's a possibility. I just, I, I don't think it's very likely that Parker's going to play well, especially when he's going to play most of his minutes at small forward. I just, I just don't think that's. No doubt, he's got to lose twenty. Let's go on to this uh, massive trade to happen this week. 
love to get your thoughts on Kawhi Leonard uh, and that whole trade in, 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 in uh, perspective of both teams. And part B, Kawhi Leonard, is this a closet opportunity for the Bulls next year to go hard after Kawhi Leonard, who would fit in perfectly with the team as it's currently constituted? Sure. I mean, I, I think Kawhi, maybe if he plays with Toronto, he thinks, wow, the Eastern Conference, that's really pretty great. You know, I mean, right. compared to playing in the West, like, I think, whoa, this is this is the way to live. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. And also, he may still not look at Toronto as like, but this isn't the place I want to be there, right? Like, I don't think he will likely want to stay there. So um, it's possible that if he stays uh, in the East, that the Bulls will have a shot if they have a good year, like you and I think they kind of both will. Philadelphia still would probably be one of the favorites to sign him. But it, it depends. You know, Kawhi doesn't talk a whole lot. You don't really know what he's thinking. You hear all kinds of oddball, contradictory things about him. Like, he's quiet and doesn't want to be the man, except he doesn't want to play with LeBron James because he won't be the man and wants to go to L.A. where he could never have any quiet. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the guy is thinking, right? So Agreed. it's hard to say uh, what he may or may not view or who, who or where he may not want to play. I also have legitimate concerns that you even want Kawhi Leonard. Like, this whole thing could not make him look any worse, I think, in my mind. Agreed. And after not playing basketball for a whole year with an injury that may or may not be real, I mean, who even knows what he's going to give you? I mean, I, I, I don't know. So from the trade perspective, though, and, and not to go too much on the, the bull's end, if, if he looks good this year and he's willing to come here, then obviously you take him and you, you pursue him. Uh, but, you know, those two things, I think, we'll decide later. From the Spurs' perspective, I think this was an interesting trade. You know, they, they kind of know Kawhi is going to leave. He's being whatever. And so they get DeMar DeRozan. They had the option probably to try and go for a rebuild of some type and try and get better assets, younger assets. Something exciting, I think, from Philadelphia would have been more intriguing in terms of building their future. The Spurs have been good for so long. I just think they have this mentality of, like, we can't rebuild. We don't want to rebuild. We want talent. And so they went with DeMar DeRozan, which is probably the most talent they could get in the short term to keep that team rolling. And it could be that Popovich just doesn't want to rebuild. He's probably only going to be coaching another couple of years. So yeah. this gives him a talented roster for a couple of years. And if you think that team that won 48 games last year effectively without Kawhi Leonard now just adds DeMar DeRozan, you know, it's not out of the question that they could win in the mid-50s and be one of the better teams in the West still. Not one of the elite ones and not one likely to win a title, but still one of the better ones. From the Toronto Raptors' perspective, I also think it's an okay thing. Like They knew they weren't going anywhere with DeMar DeMarozan, right? They've run this train into upset losses in the playoffs over and over again. It's a team that perennially disappoints. And so they get Kawhi Leonard. Maybe that works out and it's better. And they save a year on DeMar DeRozan, who's not really doing anything from them anyway, and they probably didn't really want to re-up at a Supermax or whatever afterwards. And so now they have one shot where they really go for it, and if it doesn't work out, they just go into rebuilding mode. And, you know, the pick that they gave up, it's protected in such a way that it conveys the two-second round earth if Toronto basically falls apart and Leonard completely sucks. So if that happens, they really lose nothing, and they still get a good pick in the draft, and now they're just rebuilding. You know, from their perspective, I think their other choice would have been, and maybe I could trade DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and, and get assets instead and just start my rebuild now with a few more assets. But based on how much money Lowry's making, I don't think there was probably really a market for him. Certainly not one that was going to give you more than like a pick in the 20s or something like that. And same with DeRozan. I, I, I just don't think there was that much money available, or sorry, much assets available, available for him that they traded. So, you know, I think it works out pretty well for both teams. It's kind of like a... A middle hedge move for both teams that kind of trade 
each other as problems for each other, and you know maybe both of them can work out much better than they were after this trade. So I think I think both teams made a pretty pretty sound decision with this one relative to the oppor- other opportunities. I would kind of maybe love to know what LA was really offering uh, the San Antonio because I think if anyone screwed up, it was probably San Antonio not taking the LA deal earlier. But it's hard to know what that really was. We heard some different rumors that were like multiple first round picks plus Lonzo Ball plus you know Brandon Ingram plus whatever. So I mean, depending on which one of those things you believe, uh, they may have really screwed up not just. Uh, making that move earlier. Yeah, I mean, I I think this for all, all the teams involved in, in the whole situation with where he could have potentially gone. I think it's most interesting for Toronto because if you have a really motivated player, I don't see any other way. I if Kawhi wants to play this right, let's say he doesn't want to go there, and by all indications, he doesn't want to go to Toronto, and I completely understand because it's going to be miserable there in the winter, and he apparently he likes it warm. But let's just say he does this right, and he says, I'm going to go there and play as good as I can and prove to everybody I'm still as talented and one of the best five players in the league. I think Toronto is really good. I love a lot of their players. I love Fred Van Fleet. And that, to me, that was their biggest problem. And they, they, they won 50-plus you know, games last year, about 57, I think, off the top of my head. They just, in the playoffs, was 60. they didn't have a guy like Kawhi who was able to step it up in the playoffs. I mean, that was the whole issue. We had games where DeMar DeRozan was benched in the fourth quarter. He was so bad at times, you know? And if you have an alpha like this who can defend anybody in the league and who's who's a, who's a just an awesome player, if he at his best, it does put them in a position to potentially, I think, win the East. I, I'd put them ahead of Boston. Everybody just assumes, oh, Boston's going to win the East. Everybody... Well, you know, I think there's a lot of questions there. Irving, first of all, if he doesn't commit to Boston, why would he and, – and, and he's he's had injury history, injury, injury problems. Why would you keep him? If he's not going to co- commit, wouldn't you try to trade him at, at the trade deadline for maybe something else? Because they're not beating Golden State. They're not coming close to Golden State, uh, I, I, even at, as the team's currently constituted. So – I, I think there's a lot, and then there's a lot of questions yet, you know, on Hayward's going to be after this injury. I mean, we all seen what happens to major injuries and players not coming back. I think Toronto is a step above Boston if he comes out and plays hard. Now, if he doesn't want to show up and he pulls this nonsense again, my gosh, you know, it's it's a, it's a kind of a horrific trade for Boston, for Toronto because you did have a guy in, um, you know, DeRozan who is top 20, who has bought into Toronto, who you did have on a long-term contract, and you're just going to rebuild, but... Again, I'd say rebuild for what? What are you? What are you going to do? Like, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to be bad enough. You still have, you know, some solid players. You're not going to be bad enough to be picking in. You may get into the lottery, but not high lottery. It's it's going to be a mess if this if he ends up saying I don't want to go there and I'm not going to go there. Well, I think it's a mess for Kawhi if he does that. Kawhi has to show up and play. You can't sit out two two years in the NBA because you just are pissy for whatever reason. And then still think you're going to get a huge deal. Well, let's, I mean, Kawhi I, has to play. And he has to play well. So, yeah. I, I mean, there's still some risk there because who knows? Do you believe that, though? Who knows what's going on with his life? Do you believe that, though? Honestly, do you believe if he sits out again for whatever reason, says I'm not going to play, that no team gives him a max deal next year? I, I don't believe that. I wouldn't give him a max deal. I agree, but if, I think some I, teams give him a max deal. And, and he said, hey, I want to go play for Chicago. <laughs> he hadn't played for two years. I wouldn't give him a max deal. It, it just well, wouldn't. You can't, can't sit out for two years. I mean, like even if your legs are all healthy and you're just being a bitch, the fact that you were a bitch and sat out for two years says so so much about your professionalism that you could just do this to me as soon as you don't like something going on. 
And then even if I got past that and said, well, it's just because of these other things going on and he wouldn't do that to me, and I love him, just the rust and other things that you build up over two years of not playing. Agreed. I mean, like, you can't just not apply your craft for two years. So, I, I mean, I think he absolutely has to play and, and play well this year to get a max deal. Now, that could definitely happen. I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying if it, if it doesn't, uh, I think Kawhi is really, you know, not going to have that same driving – you know, force financially that he would otherwise. Do you agree with me though? If let's say he goes there and he plays, you know, balls out to the best of his ability and his approaches or surpasses what he was before, is Toronto the best team in the East? Uh, maybe. I think they're uh, I there. I can see that. I mean, I think it's a toss-up. You you threw out the scenario of like, oh, Kawhi has the absolute perfect scenario, and Boston <laughs> has Kyrie Irving who refuses to play, and they trade him somewhere else, and you know, I mean, like. Yeah, if everything works out badly and everything works out perfectly for Toronto, they'll be the best. Okay. I mean, but what does that mean? I mean, you have to look at things in terms of likelihood and percentage chances. I mean, Irving at this point to me seems like a safer bet than Kawhi to play. So when you assume that Kawhi will not only play but play at his peak and Irving is going to give the Celtics absolutely nothing, that doesn't seem like a fair assumption to, to take into this conversation. No, but it, there's always just these. There's five. There's five guys on a court, and there's this assumption that you know Irving just going to step in, and no doubt offensively he's as good as whatever you know whatever they they put out there when in his absence. But they had a, the Celtics had a lot of good a lot of players play at a very high level, especially on the defensive end. And that's something he doesn't bring. So I mean, there is no doubt they're better. The delta between that team last year with Irving and Ed and Hayward is going to be higher. My question in, in my head is, I don't know if it's that much higher. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's enough to just say, man, they're, they're so much better than everybody in the East. I mean, I, I have him as my favorite. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think if, if Leonard just you know plays at, a, at, at his best, so who are you him. arguing against? I mean, who is going out there saying Boston is so much better than everyone else that no one else has a chance? I haven't seen I mean, anybody. I don't, I don't anybody. Hear that everyone. Pre- everyone has Boston as their favorite. I, yeah, I think just go. like you said. Just like you said, you have them as your favorite. But I don't think anyone has Boston as like the dominating favorite. I think people realize if things go well for Philadelphia and Embiid and Ben Simmons step up, that they could easily be the best team. I don't. And see I think that. people realize that if Kawhi has a superstar year, that they could be the best team in Toronto. Now, I don't think people are like, "Oh, it's only Boston." I mean, I don't. I don't hear that. I, I mean, I, for, for Golden State, yes, people are like, "Yep, it's Golden State," and and for good reason, right? I think we all feel that way. But I don't hear that with Boston. So, you know, if you do, then I agree with you. I don't think that's true. I think you've got three teams there. I'd say Boston has the edge over the other two. But it would not surprise me if any one of those three flamed out because there's reasons all of them have risk. And it wouldn't surprise me if any one of the three was just dominantly better because of the internal improvement of the young quality players on their teams. I don't feel Philadelphia is better. I know this is going to come a shock to everybody, but... Uh, Bellinelli and Irisova hit a ton of huge shots, shots at the end of last year. They went on that massive winning streak when those guys joined the team because you brought two great shooters in who could spread the floor for all those guys to do their magic. Now they added Wilson Chandler. He's a fine player. He's not as good a shooter as those two guys. He's not going to spread the floor like that. That team has major issues with spacing, and they also have major inju- uh, issues with injuries, and guys are likely sure. to get injured. So I don't think Philadelphia is better than they were at the end of last year. I know. I don't. I'm not saying Philadelphia is better right now than they were at the end of last year. I'm saying based on the fact that their two best players are guys who should be in the parts of their curve that will get much better, and then they still got Markel Fultz, 
who gave them absolutely nothing last year, but was a super elite prospect prior to that, who, if he gets his head straight and can learn how to shoot a basketball again, uh, might give them a whole hell of a lot this year. That's a big I, I'm just saying, I'm saying that there's a chance like that. <laughs> if Philadelphia was great at the end of the season, right, would you say, I never saw that coming in a million years? No, you'd say, like, well, yeah, they got three guys who could become star players. You know, two of them really already are star players who will continue to improve. Yeah, I could see how that happens. It's not saying it will. It's just like the Bulls, right? Like, you could look at the Bulls and we could say, we see the scenario where they win 45 games, right? Like, you know, everyone kind of plays well. Levine does a little bit of defense. His shooting is back on. His efficiency is back up. You know, Dunn has an improvement on his three-point shot. Wendell Carter Jr. just plays what we think he can play. Uh, is a rookie and Markin and takes a step forward and all of a sudden the Bulls have like an upper 40s win team. You could see how that can happen, right? But it wouldn't be hard to imagine a world where the Bulls win 27 games next year. Like it wouldn't be hard to see like, yep, Levine just never recovered from the ACL and Jabari Parker doesn't give you anything and Wendell Carter Jr. still has a ways to go and the coaching is terrible. Like it wouldn't be a shock if the Bulls won 27 games. You know, we hope they'll do more, and we think they'll do more. But so, same thing with Philly. Like you can see how it can happen. Like they have all the pieces. It might not, but you can see how it could. Yeah, good points. I mean, all valid points. Um, I just think it just. I don't think there's much more delta for Embiid. I think he's about as good as he's going to be, and he's a guy who's likely going to get injured every year. And Simmons, you know, Simmons, there's a lot more delta, right? I mean, he was 0 for 13 from three point line. If he somehow develops a three point shot. Well, yeah, now we got major problems in the East because that's that's what's keeping that guy from greatness. But I don't think he's great until he until he's able to do that. I just don't see any indication that that just happens. And to me, it doesn't happen overnight. It's happened though. Bad shooters have become better, and so maybe you're right. We'll see. We'll see. Let's um, before we wrap things up though. I did want to go one more time into this uh, Oklahoma City trade, which I did find kind of interesting. What did you think of that trade uh, overall? And do you think? Um, you know, from Atlanta's perspective, what was their thinking? <laughs> I thought it was a fine trade for Atlanta, who wanted to get rid of Schroeder. And I thought it was a crazy trade for Oklahoma City. Like, what did they want that guy for? And they spent, if they keep him for this year and next year, they also have spent about $50 million extra money to have them versus if they just didn't make this trade and stretched Anthony. And I just don't see how he fits in playing next to Russell Westbrook. And there's not enough minutes to be Russell Westbrook's backup to pay a guy effectively an extra $50 million over two years to do it. So I thought it was a really weird trade from Oklahoma City's perspective. And, you know, for Atlanta, it's fine, I guess. I mean, there's a good chance that pick isn't going to be anything. Um, or, it's, yeah. you know, it's gonna, at the best case, it's going to be a, a you know, mid-first and there's a good chance it's not conveyed and ends up as two second rounders. So, you know, I don't, I don't see this is really a great deal for either team. I like it more for Atlanta because they got rid of one of their problems. You know, I don't think they want that guy anymore. So they got rid of a problem and they got a conditional first for them. And, you know, I think that probably works out better. I think Oklahoma City is crazy for this one. I don't know what they were doing when they made this shit. They must see something in Schroeder that we don't, you know, um, obviously. I think that's it, but my gosh, I, I kind of agree with you. To um, I was just shocked that they would take on more salary. I thought the whole goal, well, it just showed all the all the all the people you know hand wringing over the, the the alleged trade for the Bulls that never existed, didn't exist because what? There's no way they're going to take on Felicio. Why would they take on Felicio 
Everything well, I Felicia heard... would have saved them money. Yeah, but... Uh, I mean, so when you stretch Felicia, they were, the difference is they took the Bulls trade versus this trade that they did take. They would have saved around $100 million more money. Right. Over two years. Assuming they don't trade Schroeder later and, and do whatever. They saved like $100 million. So uh, I, it baffles me. And, and maybe the Bulls wanted too much in terms of picks, and that was really the thing. Is like Oklahoma City didn't really give up anything meaningful pick-wise in this deal. And maybe that was what was the difference. And maybe the Bulls didn't really want to dump Felicio that bad. You know, maybe they, you know, who knows? Because like, really the only reason to dump Felicio is if you think you can get two max for agents next year. Yes. If you don't Agreed. think you can do that, there's, you know, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, I love that idea because I, I dream big. And I feel like that's the scenario, even if it's unlikely, that makes you a title team. So you have to pursue it. You know, you pursue the thing that can get you a championship. You don't pursue the thing that can make you a first-round playoff loss team. So uh, I would have pursued it for that reason. But I'd, either way, we don't know what the Bulls offered or if they were looking at it in the same way. You know, they may also know from agents and other stuff like, hey, look, these guys aren't going to come here. We know the bridge is burned with Jimmy Butler. There's no zero chance. We know Kyrie's not. You know, they have more information than we have, so they can kind of guess. But I, I, either way, that was just fascinating. I, I can't believe that they did this. Ignoring trading with the Bulls, I can't believe they did this. So we're just stretching it, Anthony. Like if they stretched him, his salary was nine million a year. After this trade, they take on fifteen and a half million a year, and they're in like the fourth tier of the luxury tax, which is like fifty million, sixty million dollars more they're paying for having Schroeder on the roster. And I just can't imagine how that guy is worth that much to them. Can the Bulls? Uh, let's say, Doug. Let's say the end, the Bulls go through the season, and you know they drop Parker. Felicio is not making a ton of money in the last years of this deal. I made this case a hundred times. He's making like seven point five million in the last year of the deal. I think the remaining amount on the contract will be like fifteen million. Can't yes, about right. two 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 years left. Can they stretch that out? When I keep on hearing this concept of stretching it out, is that possible? Yeah, they can. You can stretch it now if you want to. And, and, and if Oklahoma City traded for him, they would have stretched Felicio. Well, and then that would have saved them way more money. His salary would get down to the total money divided by five years. It's two times the number of years left plus one. So it would stretch it over five years. It would be about $3 million a year that would be on the books and for five years if they stretch it. But in order to get the two max level, they need that number to be zero, not $3 million. So it doesn't get them quite to that level. Now, it does depend where the cap ends up and some other little things. And you could maybe make some other moves. Like uh, if you knew you were bringing in Kyrie, you could maybe trade done and that would free up extra space. You could maybe make that like some type of sign and trade with Boston or, you know, you could do other things just depending like you're, I mean, you're right there. So you, you have some flexibility, but you won't have quite enough raw room without then making, you know, some other moves to make things happen. See, I'm not thinking Durant. I, I'm asking me, I'm not thinking Butler and Irving. I'm thinking Durant and clay. They're both free agents at the end of next year. Let's say they win another title. And Golden State decides to go in cheap and play hardball, which they have given indications of potentially doing. I've not seen that indication to. at all. Well, let's just say, let's just say this. Well, you, you, sure. missed, you missed the comments do. before the parade from their GM, who gave a lot of comments that indicated that he's they're considering the money, the, the, the monetary ramifications. But let's just say that happens, and in the negotiations, they anger both players. Is it out of the realm of possibility that they could? sign both those guys if they renounce every possible contract and stretch out a, a, a bad deal with, say, Felicio's? To get two max guys, you need to not take on any salary with your 2019 first-round draft pick. Which would be easy to, to do. Of, 
which is easy. You can easily trade a pick. That's yes. No problem. Nice. <laughs> you can, uh, you're going to need to move Denzel Valentine, which probably is easy not a problem. Do. Yep. And you're going to need to move Felicio, and you're going to need to stretch a Sheik. Those are the things you need to do to get two maxes. Okay. I so think you, all those need, are doable. You need to actually move Felicio to zero, not to stretch him. So that would be very hard. You might have to give up a pick to do that. But if you actually got commitments, you could start that negotiation. You could tell those guys, look, we will have room for you. And if it takes you two first-round draft picks to move Felicio, you do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who cares, right? Yes. Like, I mean, you yeah. just do it. For Durant and, and Clay Thompson? Then you have Durant and Clay Thompson, and you have your team. So, yeah. you know, if, if it came down to it, you could do it. I love it. I love it. That's what I'm more interested in. I don't want any uh, Jimmy Butler at 30, you know, with a, who's going to be injured, injury history going forward, and Irving, who's injury history going backward and forward. That's what I'd want. Let's if we want to think big, let's talk Durant and Clay sure. Thompson. I, mean, I I agree. I would yeah. think I would want that first too. But if I could, I'd still take Jimmy and Kyrie. Sure. If assuming Durant and them are off the table, Jimmy, Kyrie, Dunn, Levine, Markinen, and Carter. I mean, who's going to beat that in the East? No one. Yeah, good point. No one's coming close to that. Like, you you just take that. Like, I mean, it's the best thing you can do. Probably won't be enough. But it's a team that would definitely have a puncher's chance at anyone in the West, right? And you would roll through the East. You'd be like LeBron, just like sleepwalking through the playoffs. And then you would get to the, the finals and you'd, you'd just see what happens. I mean, so nice. I, would, I would take that, you know, regardless of the fact that probably isn't enough. I mean, it would be enough for, like, some pretty amazing, fun seasons. Yeah, it's exciting just to contemplate. My man, I got hit the ground running here. It's a work day. So you're headed out to India now, correct? Oh, oh we're pulling in the big red bus. I got to pull it in. Hold on. I got to get the uh, image back. Let me take a left-hand turn into the driveway. I'm opening up the garage. Another fantastic ride on the big red bus. Now, where are you headed? Are you going to India for a couple weeks? Is that right? I am. Uh, so when are you leaving? I'm leave going it? to India. How are we going to do a show? What's that? How are we going to do a show while you're in India? How are we going to do the show? Yeah. We're not. <laughs> simple <laughs> simple answer. Week, I mean, <laughs> oh, good. Right? It's only a week. Simple answer. I was going to say yeah, the, the listeners are going to be devastated. So Doug is driving the big red bus to India, and during that period, I won't be able to participate. So no show. No show during that time. He's going to get the India fans all excited about the Bulls, and then he's going to come back, and then we'll talk about it when you get back. When are you back? We'll be on the, I'll be on the big red plane. The big red. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, we'll be what are you? What are you coming back? Uh, Saturday the twenty eighth, like All seven right. in the morning. So we we'll be right on for a week from now. You know, awesome. like a week and a day. So we'll, we'll we'll knock it out. All right, my friend. Always great to talk to you. Great great input today. Always great to talk on the big red bus. All the best to you, brother. Have a safe flight, safe trip back. And maybe by the time you come back, I doubt there will be anything to happen, but you never know. You All never right. know. All the best, both ends. All right, my man. Talk to you soon, brother. Hey, what's up? It's Emily, and I'm pretty sure that compassionate, coordinated healthcare is something on the top of everyone's mind. That is why I love Live by Advantia Health. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. Live is a membership-based practice in the heart of D.C. that prioritizes your experience. Plus, Live accepts all major insurance. So take charge of your healthcare on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. L-I-V by Advantia. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. <sighs> 
Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit SixFlags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. 